Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. A few years ago, I learned something about my father that I never had really known before. Um, He was living up here in the area at the time, and my wife and I said, hey, we want to take you out for supper, right? Just do something nice with my dad, take him out. And and, um, his favorite place to go is Olive Garden. He loves Olive Garden, okay? And so we took him to Olive Garden, and at the time we took him, I don't remember if the the one here in Worcester was here or not, but we took him up to by Solomon Pond, that one, right? And... um, I don't, it's either Friday night or Saturday night. But you know what happens when you, you show up on one of those nights at 6 or 6.30? Do you know what it's like? Yeah, yeah. Actually, they said over an hour. But here's the thing. Here's what I learned about my dad. Because I didn't really, I'd never really seen this before. We pull up, a lot of cars in the parking lot. And that doesn't really bother me because I let him off at the door. Okay? But by the time I get parked and get in with him in there, there's this huge just crowd in there, right? In the whole lot. I'm trying to... And he's looking, oh, I don't think we want to stay. We don't want to stay. I said, sure we do, Dad. Come on, we're out here. going to have a good night here. And, and so he walks with me over there, and we go over to the place where we give him a name, give him a name. They said, well, it's going to be at least an hour wait. And I said, that's all right, you know, we got time. And I looked at my dad, and my dad went, I found out my dad doesn't like to wait for things. I didn't, I mean... I don't know if it's that way when I, when I was growing up or not. I don't remember. But I, I do know that that was uh, the way he is now. Definitely. In fact, where he lives now, they serve you know, supper at 5 o'clock. He shows up at 4.45, 4.50 and snags his fir- food first. So he won't have to wait. I'm not saying it's a good quality. okay? But uh, how many of you here would say, yeah, I don't really like to wait much either. Okay. How many of you are married to someone who doesn't like to wait? Oh, okay, all right. So um, you can get that, right? But life is full of wait, isn't it? Have you noticed that? Life is full of waiting. Uh, Sometimes it's short time, sometimes it's long time, some of them just inconveniences, some of them are really, you know, a big hassle. But what I want to talk to you about today is a, a different kind of waiting. And this is the waiting that happens when... Um, you have a health issue in your life and the doctors can't figure it out and it doesn't seem to be getting any better uh, and you find yourself just waiting. You know, you, you, you can't fix it, you don't know what to do and you're, you're waiting and you're saying, God, what's going on? And you're waiting. Or, or, or maybe it's in your finances, you know, through either your own fault or not your own fault or a combination of things. You find yourself financially so far in the hole, can't figure out how in the world you'll ever get out. And, and just things are on the horizon. And so you find yourself waiting just to see what's going to happen. And God, what's going to happen here? It's even harder sometimes when it's in the relationships that are closest to you in your marriage relationship and, and the way things have been going and all of a sudden maybe it has some big, huge blow up and, and you're saying, I can't even see how this is going to work. I, I can't see how we're ever even going to make it. And you aren't even really in a position to talk about it and so you find yourself saying, oh God, I don't know what to do and, and you're waiting. You're waiting on God. 
Sometimes it's a parent with a child who is a teenager, younger, has, has rebelled against God and gone off and doing his, his own thing, her own thing. And, and you've done everything you need to know to do. You've prayed, you've talked, you've, and, and it just it's, isn't getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. And you don't know what to do about it. And all you can do is wait. Sometimes it's a, a, a child with a problem parent and they have to wait. These, these are hard things, aren't they? They're hard, hard places to be. How do we navigate that? How do we handle this when we have to wait and wait on God? Well, let's go to part of the Christmas story that we, we don't often look at at Christmas time. It's in Luke chapter two. And we're gonna see some things that are going to lay a foundation for us to talk about how we wait on the Lord. <clears throat> So in Luke chapter two, and if, if you, uh, we're gonna be on page 1180 if you're using one of those Bibles under the chairs there, and we, we would encourage you to follow along with us if you're able to. Um, this, this part of the story happens after, you, you know, usually we read the story about, you know, Mary and, the, and the, the Joseph in the inn and, and the angels and the shepherds, and usually that's where we end the story. And actually we're gonna look at that part of the story in two weeks on Christmas Sunday. But this happens after that. This happens eight days after that and then another 33 days after that. So the events we're gonna look at here uh, are gonna unfold within just about six weeks of the time of Jesus' birth. So let's begin in verse 21. It says, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, okay? So they're following the law of Moses with Jesus here. And, and now verse 22, now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed. Let's talk about Mary. And when she gave birth to a child, the law said that uh, eight days he was to be circumcised and then there's another 33 days period just to make sure that everything is okay, that she's all right, everything's the way it ought to be. And at that point in time, they were to come to the temple and offer a, an offering of thanksgiving and worship as well as an offering, as they always did, a sin offering to say, you know, God, we know we've sinned against you and we desperately need you to forgive us and to save us. And so this is right at six weeks after Jesus' birth. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So two birds. Now, it's interesting to note here. <clears throat> um, this means that Joseph and Mary were poor. They were poor. They were not wealthy people. And the reason we know that is because the law normally required someone to bring a lamb and a bird, okay, for this offering and sacrifice. But it made provision, the law said, if, you, if they aren't able to have a lamb, they can just bring two birds. And so we find that this is, they were a poor family, okay? That's what Jesus was born into. Do you think he understands us? Yeah. He knows that's just one example of many things that he understands. So, all right, so they have come, they have presented him in the temple. Now, this, this next person that we're gonna meet is the one we really wanna start to focus on and draw some ideas about when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was just and devout, okay? He was a godly man, very sincere in his religion, his worship of God and his service of God. And it says this, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So the Spirit of God was uh, very much a reality in his life, but waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word consolation, you know, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is consolation is the consolation prize, right? You ever heard of consolation prize? Oh, you won this one. Oh, you get a consolation prize, right? That, and what's the idea of that? Well, it's to console you because you didn't win. To console you, to comfort you, actually, is the idea. And so what it says here is that Simeon was waiting for the comfort and the consolation that God was going to send to Israel. And really what that's talking about is a, he was looking forward to the coming Messiah. Because as God's people, they knew they had sinned against the holy God and, and he you know, covered them each year with the sacrifices and all that, but they were waiting for him to send the one who was going to be the final comfort, the one who would address these issues, the issues of their hearts. So he was waiting and looking forward to the Messiah's coming. Now we get some more information about him, verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit leads him into the temple just at this time because he's going to meet Mary and Joseph and Jesus. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for, uh, do for him according to the custom of the law, he, talking about Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Excuse me, did I skip a verse? Can we go back and read verse 26? It's a really important verse in this story. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so somehow, God had just impressed it upon him and made it clear to him that he was going to see the Messiah in his lifetime, that he was going to see him. And so at this point on this day, when the Holy Spirit leads him into the temple and he sees this child, somehow God just makes it evident that this is the one. This child is the Lord's Christ. Christ is the, the Greek form of the Jewish word Messiah the promised one, the savior of the world. This is him. And so the Lord had said, you're going to see him before you die. Now, I don't know how all this went down, but I, here's kind of the way I think it went down. And that's that um, somehow or other, God just you know, impressed it upon him, filled his heart and mind that, with the confidence that I'm gonna see the Messiah. Okay, when, God? And either God impressed it upon him that before you die, sometime before you die, you're gonna see him. Or God was silent, but God had promised, and so he knew before he died. We don't know how it went down for sure. But uh, how many years had Simeon been waiting? You aren't gonna find it in your Bible, it doesn't tell us. He could have been waiting a year, he could have been waiting 50 years, right? We don't know. But so he kept coming and then sure enough, here he is, the, the Messiah shows up. And so verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Okay, and they're going to have some more conversation there. But I want you to see something here. God had promised Simeon, hadn't he? And we don't know how long it took, but God kept his promise to Simeon, didn't he? He kept his promise to Simeon. But God kept the promise to more than just Simeon. How did Simeon know that there was a Messiah who was coming? Well, in the Old Testament, had prophesied that the Messiah would be coming. The very first prophecy was given to Adam and Eve. After they had sinned, the very first promise of a coming Messiah. And then many, many promises after that. Uh, and the last promises that were given about the coming Messiah, probably still 300 years before it came to pass. So first promises, like 4,000 years before it happens. The last promise, still 300, hundreds of years before it happens. And on this day, what does God do? He fulfills in the birth of Christ, I should say, he fulfills this. Now, there's over 300 prophecies related to the life of Christ in the Bible, uh, prophecies uh, that have been fulfilled in Jesus' life and some still to be fulfilled. Uh, there were over a dozen fulfilled surround, in the events surrounding his birth. So what I want you to see is this. We don't know how long Simeon had to wait, do we? We don't know. But however long he had to wait didn't matter because God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And, and the fact that the, um, the, the prophets 4,000 years before, how many years had, had God's people in the world been waiting for the Savior? How long? For all of history. And yet God did fulfill the promise. So I want you to see is this, that it, however, the, the length of time it takes for it to happen has nothing to do with whether or not God keeps his promises. And that's important for us to remember because sometimes in the middle when we find ourselves waiting, we feel like God must have forgotten. God must have left me behind. God has abandoned me. God is, no, 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 no. If he has made promises in his word and you've understood them properly, it doesn't matter if you've been waiting for 10 minutes or 10 years or a lifetime. God always keeps his promises. And he will for you. Now, sometimes we have this, this struggle, right? With the timing thing, <laughs> I mean, don't you want, you usually have most things happen faster than God does them? And there's some things you kind of just wish God would hold off on a while, but they happen real fast, okay? You gotta understand that God's sense of time is different than ours. God's sense of time is different than ours. The scripture says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It's not trying to give us some formula to apply to prophecy here. What it's doing is, um, could you just leave that up there, Dan? Thanks. <clears throat> what it is doing is, is just trying to help us to see that the time is not a big deal to God. It's a big deal to us because we very much sense we have limited time, right? But it's not a big deal to God. And the idea is that uh, what we think ought to happen fast, God may just take a long time to do. 
And he is, he knows why. And then there may be things that we think can never happen. It's, it's just you're too much, too big, and God doesn't like that. Okay? So God is not bound by time. Um, and so he's always going to keep his promises. Um, I know a, a family connected to our church who, uh, this is years ago, but as, as their children grew up, two sons, uh, the younger of the two sons began to rebel and push back and rebelled against his parents and then rebelled against God and the church. And as soon as he was able, he was gone. Gone. Uh, he's still in his parents' life some, but just no use for God. Wasn't interested, just didn't care. Right to the great concern of the parents because it didn't even seem to be any sensitivity or care about that. And you wonder, does he even know the Lord and all those struggles, right? They go on. And, and this went on for years. He's married and he has kids and then he has teenagers of his own. And they have just waited on God and waited on God and prayed. We're talking way over 20 years they've been waiting on God. And all of a sudden, one day, this, this man got up and said to his family, we need to go to church. Out of the blue. And, and turned around and he took his family to church and he has been faithful and growing ever since. Now, what was going on during that time? I don't know, but this family had to decide to wait on God, to pray, to trust, and not give up. To wait on God. Because see, God's timing isn't always our timing. And you know how last week, I, and I, I think it was last week, but we, we looked at the passage that God's ways are not our ways, right? His ways and thinking is much better and bigger than ours. Guess what? God's timing is much better than ours. It isn't always what we feel like we want, but it's better. Okay, another lesson that we learn here as we see what went on with Simeon and then with the prophecies and all that is this, that um, <clears throat> while you're waiting, God is working. While you're waiting, God is working. Now, we'll talk about the verse in just a minute. Now listen, think about the prophecies. So here's the, the Adam and Eve and they sin and God gives this very first prophecy about a coming Messiah and then many other prophecies along the way and different things. And then you know, finally 4,000 years later, it's coming to pass. How does that happen? Well, the only way that happens is if God is working here and here and here and getting the people to the right places and making the right decisions. And see, all that whole time, someone standing outside could say, man, God made all these promises, but nothing's happened. But the reality is, is God was working while everyone was waiting. And same thing for you in your life. While you're waiting, God is working. So let's look at this verse here. In James, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay? So he says, look, when something bad comes into your life, and in this case, I think it's the idea of having to wait for something. It isn't coming. The trials, I can't fix it. I need patience. Okay? That there's reason to be glad because when the trials come, that means God's working. See, we tend to think when the trial comes, what? Oh, God hasn't working. He's abandoned us. No, no, no. When the trial comes, know this. God is working. He's always working. And he's working for good things in your life. And what it tells us here is in those kinds of trials that his, his intention and desires to produce patience in your life. Patient endurance. Boy, that's a quality that's worth having and not one we particularly like to pursue. How many of you have ever said, you know, oh, God, 
My greatest desire is that I would learn how to just endure. <laughs> but you know what? If you can patiently endure, that is of great value to you in your life. And so he says that. Now he continues, he says, but let patience have its perfect work or its complete work. Let it be completed here that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Apparently, you and I can short-circuit the process. Isn't that what that's implying? Hey, you have this trial. God wants to use it to produce patience in your life. But listen, you got to cooperate. you got to go with this to the end. However long this takes, you got to go with it. Because if you don't, you're going to short-circuit the process. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? Well, here's the reality. When things happen in our lives, right, these big things, these hard things, and we say, okay, I'm going to wait on God, and, and we're waiting and waiting. And then uh, have you ever reached a point where all of a sudden you go, uh, whatever, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to go ahead and, and you do your own thing, and it gets worse. Anybody? Yeah, I have. You see, we can short-circuit the process. And so here's what I want you to, to get today, if you get nothing else. Don't waste the wait. We're all going to wait. We're all going to have things in our lives that we have to wait for. Things, big things, hard things. Don't waste that time. Don't waste it. God has good purposes in it if you will cooperate with him and not short circuit the process. So how do we do that then? Well, let's, let's go to our Bible and look at some things that can help us to understand how we don't waste the wait. And the first one is this. Stop waiting for something and start waiting for someone, the Lord. Stop waiting for something and start waiting for someone. You see that? Because what's our tendency? When we find ourselves in a difficult situation, maybe hugely difficult and, and hurtful, what are we looking for usually? We are looking for something, aren't we? A solution, something to happen, something to be done, something to be stopped being done. So, and we're doing that. You know, there is no peace there. There is no hope there. There's no help there. There's no strength. No. What you need is God. You don't need a solution to your problems. You need God. And God will be the solution to your problems and provide that solution when the time is right. So Isaiah chapter 8 here Isaiah has been given instructions from God and it has to do with his family and how he's supposed to prophesy to Israel. But Israel's not interested. They're not listening. And, and so he doesn't quite know what to do. But verse 17, he says this. And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. Okay, what's he mean now? Hides his face. Well, what he means is this. And, and you've experienced it. I've experienced it. It's those times and um, you can go ahead and leave that up there if you would, Dan. Okay, thank you. I've experienced those times when, where is God? I mean, I know that he's here. I, I understand his word, but I can't see him. Where is he? Right? You, you know what I'm talking about? I, I, don't, I can't see him. It's like he's hiding from me. It's the way it feels. And so this is what Isaiah says here. He says, I'm going to wait on the Lord even though he's seems to be hiding his face from us. And then he says this, and I will hope in him. Our hope is in him, not in something. Our hope is in him. And so don't waste the wait. 
by waiting for something. Take advantage of the wait by waiting for him, okay? Second thing, lean into the Lord. Lean into the Lord. Psalm 119, verse number 112. says, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I have inclined mine heart. What's an incline? Right? If you think of a hill, it's an incline, right? And so it's, it's a leaning. And so what he's saying here is, I have determined to, my heart, I'm leaning towards you, God. I'm leaning toward your word and, and trusting you. That's what I'm going to do. By the way, in any relationship that you have, and, and I experience, have experienced it mostly in my marriage relationship, okay? What I find is that when things get hard, right, and it really gets, everything gets sensitive, do you know what I'm talking about? And anything you touch hurts in the marriage relationship is just really bad. My natural tendency is to do this, right? I don't like it. But what I discovered is that that doesn't help anything. That just prolongs the problem. What I've discovered is that I have to move toward. I need to lean in. And that's what we need to do with God. Rather than things get lazy and say, where is God? I don't get it. And we're stepping back. No, instead, God's here somewhere. I'm leaning in. And how long are we going to do this? What's it say? Oh, this will encourage you. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever. But then he says this, to the very end. And so how long are you going to have to wait? You don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm leaning in toward the Lord from now till the end of this time. That's what I'm doing. The third thing, align yourself with the Lord. Turn to Psalm 37. Align yourself with the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse number 34 says this. It says, wait on the Lord. And then it says this. And keep his way. Keep his way. That means to live by his word. Okay? Align your life with the word of God. And by the way, here's what he says what will happen then. He says, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. You shall see it. So when the time comes, when the waiting is up, you're going to be in a place to enjoy the blessings of it and to see it. See what God has done. But if you don't do that, you may be the very one that's in the way of what God is trying to do. You see, because here you're waiting on God and, and, and there's these big problems out here and the reality may be that it's in you, that there are things in your life that are in the way because your, your attitudes, your beliefs, your habits, your practices, whatever, they don't match the word. And so God does not have the freedom to work through you like he would. And so what you want to do is while you're waiting on God, you start looking at yourself and say, how, how does my life line up with what God says? Oh God, would you show me what I need to work on, what I need to change? I'll come back to that a little later. So let's continue. The fourth thing here, learn to depend on the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Learn to depend on the Lord. 
Just two verses here. This is a different side of the Apostle Paul. We don't always see this side. We normally think of Paul as this very bold, conquering, I mean, you know, out there, doing it for God kind of person. Verse number eight, he says this. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. We were in a bad, bad place and we did not know how to deal with it. It's, it's bigger than we can imagine. We did not have strength to, to deal with it. Uh, in fact, we were giving up. We despaired of life. What's the point? Why do we keep trying? Verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. And that was the situation we were in. Why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so what you want to do when you find yourself waiting on God is to learn to depend on him. What a great time to learn to depend on him. Let me ask you, when life is going grand, you got enough money in your pocket, everybody's getting along, things are looking good at work, uh, do you wake up every day and say, oh my, it is so important that I depend on God today? It's not our natural tendency, is it? Our natural tendency, they're just going fine. Well, yeah, we know we're supposed to depend on God, you know, but we aren't really. Well, when all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you're having to wait on God and you can't do anything, it's out of your control, what a great opportunity to learn to depend on him. And you can do that. Learn to depend on him. In fact, Paul says that's why God lets these things happen. So we'd find out that we can't handle this ourselves. Only God can do it in us and through us. And then find your strength to keep going, because you're going to need strength to keep going. Find your strength to keep going in the Lord. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Familiar passage of Scripture probably for a lot of you. Isaiah chapter 40. Let's start in verse number 27. God is talking to his people. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. Why are you saying that? But you get the idea, right? Here I am in this, this waiting and this hurt and, and despair. And I went, where is God? I don't think he sees. I, I think he's, or he's abandoned me or you aren't sure. And God says, why do you say that? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Nothing is escaping him. His understanding, he knows what's going on. And guess what? You're exhausted. He is not. Oh, is that good news? When I get exhausted, God isn't. Okay? And then here's what happens. As we learn to depend on him, verse 29, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. And so when you sit before God and say, God, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't have what it takes. I'm just so worn down. Don't have the strength. He says, God will give you the strength. God will enable you to do that next thing, whatever it is. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. In other words, those who we would expect to be the strongest will still run out of strength. Natural strength will always fail us at some point. But those who wait on the Lord 
Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So you'll be able to walk when you need to. You'll be able to run when you need to. You'll be able to fly. You'll be able to do what you need to do. God will enable you to do that. And then finally, and maybe the most important, let the Lord change you. As you wait on God, let the Lord change you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, boy, I like that, you know, God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. I really like that. After you have suffered a while, wait a minute, who put that in there? He's saying here that there are going to be times and things in life that we're going to have to suffer through. They're going to be hard. All we'll be able to do is just wait. We're waiting on God. And it's hard. He says, but after you have suffered a while, this God, he said, he will perfect you. He will establish you. He will strengthen you and settle you. He will change you. Doesn't the idea of having life being settled sound really nice? See, this is what God will do. He, he will change us if we cooperate with him in this. Now, um, <clears throat> let me just share with you. A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I were in a really, really, really hard place. It was hard for us personally in between us, but it was even harder in ministry and church and all that was going on was hurtful and I couldn't see any way out and there was no way I could fix it. No matter what I tried to do, I couldn't fix it. The problems were increasing and, and I really despaired. I was like, Phew. But thankfully, because of God's working from, through other people in my life and, and his drawing, I chose at that time to wait on someone. Instead of something, I decided to wait on God. And I learned, I leaned on him. I leaned into him by his grace, right? And then I began to see in my life that there were things that really weren't aligned with what I was supposed to be. And I began to work to align my life. And, and then I began to more consciously, purposely depend on God. And then when there were times, I remember sitting, when the offices used to be out there, I sat in the office out there and I was just what I call bone tired. I mean, I sat there and it wasn't physical, but yet it was the, the tired went all the way through. You know what I'm talking about? Just even to get up and get moving. But I sat there with God and he gave me the strength to do the next thing. He did. And one of the biggest things that came out is that he changed me. He changed me. He changed how I looked at life. He changed how my understanding about how he works in our lives. He changed how I felt about people. He changed so many things. <clears throat> and, and the outcome of all of this, you know, when if you, at the start of that, if I said, this is what I need God to do, this is what I need to happen, I don't think hardly any of that happened. But God changed me. And I think that's what needed to happen. That's huge. So worth it. 
And, and once again, you may not know. You think what you need is something, but just trust God. Now, I want to encourage you here as we finish up that waiting can be very hard. I know that. Waiting can be very long. Waiting can lead you to despair, those places. I mean, all these things we've seen. But Psalm chapter 27 and verse 14 says something. It says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And here's the idea. That when you choose and say, okay, I'm going to wait on you, Lord. I'm not waiting on something I think I need. I'm waiting on you. And this idea of be of good courage to say, okay, God, here I am. I'm, I'm going with you. I'm going to trust you. I'm, I'm going forward with you. And he says, when you do that, God comes in on the backside and strengthens your heart to do it. What a blessing. He calls us to wait on him, and then when we do, he strengthens us. And what I want to do with you here is this. I'm going to teach you a little chorus. <clears throat> it's a chorus that, I don't know who wrote it, but years ago I learned it. It's this verse. And it is um, such a, an encouragement to me. Those times when I found myself struggling to wait, this comes back to mind. So just listen here. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. And he shall strengthen your heart. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. All right, so you've heard it. Hum along or sing with me, okay? Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, and he shall strengthen your heart, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Take those words to heart. Wherever you find yourself, having to wait on God. Make the decision, I will wait on you, Lord. And he will strengthen you to do it. Father, thank you for your word. And I, I, I pray, Father, we'll just take all of this to heart and and realize that when we find ourselves having to wait, that, that you're at work. And it's, a, it's not a bad place. It's not a pleasant place lots of times, but it's not a bad place to be. And we wait on you and you'll strengthen us and you will accomplish your great and awesome and perfect purposes in us and through us. Be honored with the response of our heart to these things today, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.